This is Marco, and you are listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. Welcome to episode 183 of the Yellow Wall Pod. I'm your host, Stefan Butzko, as always. And uh, I am joined by two guys for this episode where we have to talk about Borussia Dortmund's 3-1 away loss in the Champions League to Monaco and preview the upcoming Bundesliga match, the top spiel against Borussia Mönchengladbach on Saturday. And for that, join me, Matthias Zug. Hello, Matthias. Hello, Stefan. How are you today? Thank you. I'm doing quite well. It's finally sunny in Dortmund, although still not warm. How is it over there in Colorado? It's warm for now. <laughs> All right, then. <laughs> also here, Mr. Lars Pollmann. Hello, Lars. Hi, Stefan Butzko. How are you doing? Are you feeling any better? By and large, I'm doing just fine. Well, that's good to hear. Thanks. Um, yeah, well, before we kick things off, I, of course, have to thank our new beautiful patrons who support us on our Patreon page, which you can find on patreon.com slash the yellow wall. And, uh, yeah, it's always great to, to get some of the support. And obviously we gladly do the shout outs, which uh, you get unless you, uh, basically tell us not to. So, uh, yeah. Here are the latest guys who didn't tell us to get a shout out. And that is Lukas Stroller or Lukas Stoller. I don't know how to pronounce your name. I'm sorry. Lake Clayton, Paul Magaletti, Alex at BVB Buffalo for the guys who know him. And of course, Abel Mescheros. I'm sorry, Abel, if I butchered your name there, but you'll survive. I guess now it's time to talk about uh, Borussia Dortmund's 3-1 loss to Monaco last. Usually I come to you for takeaways, but you know, I feel like this isn't uh, the, the time to ask for takeaways. So I will just ask for thoughts. Well, the, the thing is, um, that the entirety of the quarterfinal tie against Monaco uh, is under an asterisk and, and we can't really, as you said, um, take too much away from what transpired on the field in the 180 minutes against them. Uh, what did uh, transpire on the field is that I think Monaco were deserved to go through just because they were, for the most part, at least uh, fairly ruthless with their chances. And uh, I think in both games, more or less, uh, scored with the with the first a few big chances. And I mean, uh, talking about the second leg uh, on Wednesday, uh, the game pretty much I think was over after what was it 17 minutes um, with the two goals for Monaco I think uh, even though Dortmund technically uh, most of us expected them to need three goals I think uh, with the with the way the game went until that point 
nobody really thought the comeback was going to be on even after Dortmund scored early in the second half. So, um, given the circumstances uh, with the attack uh, eight days before uh, the second leg, um, I can't really fault anyone for making individual mistakes. Uh, I mean, Lukas Piszczek had another one. Matthias Ginter had a pretty bad performance, but I mean, uh, with all these guys, uh, there's there's just no way we can really, uh, you know, talk bad about them or or really analyze their performances in a nutshell. Because uh, there's always the, the the huge thing in the background that really uh, that that really killed the the Champions League dream for these guys, um, and that's really a shame. But uh, I think we can all be just very thankful that they're still alive, especially after yesterday a, a report in German TV came out that confirmed that there would have been a, a number of casualties in the attack on the team bus had the detonations taken place a few seconds earlier. So, I mean, it's it's good that they used up all the luck on the team bus and didn't have anything left for the pitch. Yeah, if you want to see it that way, um, so certainly there, there was not a l lot of luck for Dortmund because uh, I think it were only margins over the two legs that determined why uh, Dortmund were out of the Champions League and why Monaco progressed. I'm only thinking of the uh, offside goal or shine free kick. You know, it's just sometimes margins. Um, Matthias, I was very surprised. I was watching the game last night on uh, the ZDF, the second German TV channel. And uh, after the game, they asked the players, more or less everyone, uh, whether Tuchel got the lineup wrong. Um How did you see that discussion, even though if you did not watch ZDF, but in general, I think it was also going on on Twitter and everywhere else? Well, yeah, I mean, on the one hand, it's a legitimate question. Um, if you think about the fact that uh, playing with a, a back three or a back five, but three center backs... When currently, because of what happened, uh, last week, we really only have one real trained center back in Socrates. Uh, cause Pishek isn't a center back. Matthias Ginta, well, we've talked enough about that. Uh, it, it surprised me a little bit because we just don't have enough players to play with a back three, in my opinion. If somebody goes down, it's starting to look even, even worse. But that's, to me, that's focusing on the wrong thing. Overall, the players that played, I don't have a major issue with given injuries or people just being tired. You know, Dembele's put in a lot of minutes. Uh, Pulisic put in a lot of minutes. Schmedza is still recovering to a certain degree. Uh, you know, so I, I can't really fault him for the lineup. Um, I think Dortmund looked a lot better when we were playing a standard back four with two center backs. I think that's without question. Seemed more comfortable in the game. And so, yeah, I'd, but I don't put it down to that. I think, like you said, it was down to fine margins, the offside in, in the first leg, especially coming less than 24 hours after everybody survived a murder attempt. Um I, yeah, I, I really don't read too much into it. It's the media doing what the media's job is. Uh, but yeah, it, I, I didn't really pay much attention to it. Well, you know, I, 
I think I have to side with you there because uh, Tuchel explained himself already before the game why, for example, Dembele wouldn't start. He just said that he is too tired uh, to really start. And after the game, he was asked again and he said, yeah, well, if I thought he could have started, he would have started. And, um, yeah, he said basically that you could see it against Monaco as well, that there were just too many technical mishaps, too many misplaced, misplaced passes by Dembele that usually are not part of his game because he's very secure in the ball. And, uh, yeah, that's what, what Tuchel said. And, uh, I think that uh, was also very visible in, in the game. And overall, I don't really think the lineup per se is to blame. You could just see that the, the team wasn't, you know, on their best, obviously, you know, for obvious reasons. So, um, yeah, there were technical mishaps, you know, a bit of, I don't know, just some stray passes, just maybe the, the five or six percent that you need to be hundred percent focused, uh, that those were lacking. And I'm pretty sure we all know why. And, you know, on top of Risto Dortmund are never the best away team this season so um yeah that's probably also a factor but yeah what we are yet to mention of course is uh and i don't know how big of a factor it is but uh, definitely occurred that the uh, team bus was held by the police for security reasons apparently um for about yeah 15 minutes in front of the team hotel and thomas tuchel said that you know after they were all focused or allowed themselves to focus on the game uh, yeah, it was a really awkward moment. I think he gave an interview to Jan Agafjordjov as well about that. I haven't seen it thus far, but I'm pretty sure he said similar things there. Um, Lars, is there, is there really any, anything we can take away in, in a sporting sense? Maybe, you know, if we focus on the positives. Yeah, I mean, the, the general, fact that Dortmund were for the most part competitive in this fixture despite what transpired uh, 24 hours before the first leg that's encouraging also in a sporting sense that they have so much talent in the team and so much spirit in the team that they allowed themselves to focus on football for you know those 90 minutes especially in the first leg I think that was better than the second one and also I mean we, we still saw in many instances the uh, individual skill in this team, whether it's Dembele with a nice assist yesterday for Royce or Royce with a very neat finish for his goal. Um, you know, had he been available in the first leg, who knows? That could have changed the entire thing also. But uh, just generally speaking, it's a shame that we will never know how these quarterfinals would have uh, would have looked like had the attack not taken place, because I think everyone kind of pinpointed to this tie as the most exciting one in the uh, series in the Champions League this season uh, just because the two teams are packed through the brim with so much young attacking talent that's going to shape European football for the next decade or so and we were kind of robbed uh, robbed off that uh, by a cowardly terrorist attack and that's really just a shame as I said Yeah, you're absolutely right. Matthias um I think we also just have to give a little bit of credit to Monaco for just uh, being uh, tactically really well set up in the second leg. I think Marco Royce said in the news conference that uh, they now know how Monaco will play, but you can also just uh, flip it around on and and say that Monaco were very well, uh, yeah, set up for that game. Uh, how how did you see Monaco play on Wednesday night? 
the thing that impressed me the most, I mean, Jardim is a, is a good manager. Um, he's not always been an easy manager, uh, obviously, uh, given his track record with clubs in the past, but, uh, very good, very intelligent, set his team up nicely to also exploit some of the weaknesses, uh, we had at the back, namely, I mean, just speed. The thing that impressed me the most with, um, Monaco is just their speed, especially down the left hand side, uh, with, with Mendy and Mbappe. Uh, it's, it's hard for me as a Dortmund supporter to be, or it's difficult to be impressed by another team's speed given how much team speed we tend to have. Uh, but that was really, really impressive. Every time they got the ball moving forward, you had to hold your breath and it, it just came, came down to that. Uh, their counterattacking style was very, very good. They pressed very, very well. They were never passive. I mean, it was very, uh, Dortmund under Klopp-esque, uh, performance really from Monaco, which was, which was interesting to see. Very attractive, very, very nicely played. Um, I think with that, they, they definitely exploited some of the overall weaknesses of, the Dortmund team that they had there. I mean, I was impressed, honestly, a few times that Socrates was able to hang with um, Mbappe a few times in a foot race. That actually impressed me more than anything else. Yeah, Socrates is a really, really quick defender, uh, <laughs> which I think is also very, very vital for Dortmund, who usually play with a very high line. Uh, yeah, Tuchel, after the game, pointed out that he wished that Dortmund would have uh, played a narrower style, meaning when they are attacking up front, that they move their backline further up front as well to, you know, create a little bit more compactness, which of course wasn't there, wasn't there. And uh, he was talking a lot about the, the learning process from, from this, you know, when we are already think ahead to the next season, there's a lot of young players on the team, of course. And, uh, yeah, pushing, pushing forward, uh, and, and having the courage to do so, um, is something that Tuchel uh, points out also after the match against Bayern. And uh, yeah, we will see how, how this pans out in the future. Dortmund obviously will play at the Allianz Arena uh, next Wednesday. So uh, yeah, maybe we will get a first glimpse of uh, any learnings, if there are any. Um, Matthias, how did you see the uh, introduction of Marcel Schmelz at halftime? What changed it, or if anything? I think there was a, a certain, I mean, Dortmund became more solid, in my opinion. Uh, there seemed to be more confidence now in the back line, uh, given that you had Pischek on the right, Schmitz on the left, Socrates, even with Ginta back in there. Uh, the familiarity, the defensive automatism, as you always talk about, was definitely, it, it, they just seemed more confident defensively when, when Schmitz was in there. Uh, which Guerrero's a very good left back, but I feel like he's gotten better in central midfield than at left back. Yeah, certainly. I was just going to ask Lars how he is seeing Guerrero so far this season after recovering from injury. I, I too like him better in, in the center. Uh, I think he has some obvious weaknesses at left back defensively that especially come up when you play uh, with uh, so much risk at Dortmund, obviously do at times. I think he struggles especially facing his own goals or in transition attacks, which uh, was the clear-cut strength of Monaco over the two ties, even though I think Monaco identified Dortmund's right side uh, with Durm, who wasn't really fit, it seemed, uh, and 
obviously was taken off the pitch after 27 minutes because of it uh as as a bigger weakness so they uh, really attacked it down the down their attacking left side with Lemar and uh, Mondi but uh, I think Guerrero is better suited to play in the center at the moment uh, he's doing okay when he's playing a left wing back in a back three system but obviously they changed that and then keeping him at left back uh, really restricts what he can do on the pitch and he's so good in uh, in narrow spaces and tight angles and with all the little touches around the opponent's box so I think when Dortmund are playing with a regular back four, Guerrero isn't the best option. And then, obviously, uh, the much maligned Marcel Schmelzer is a, a very important player for the team structure. Uh, he's so good in, in pressing and counter-pressing. And he's, I mean, he's the team captain, so obviously players look up to him. Uh, and, and he improves the team structure overall. So I think that uh, introduction yesterday made a lot of sense. Even though Nuri Shahin was arguably the best player on the pitch at, uh, in the first half, for Dortmund at least, um, much like he was a very good player in the second half uh, of the first leg when he was introduced at halftime. But I do think that playing both Shahin and Weigel together is uh, almost redundant because they like to occupy the same places on the same spaces uh, on the field, play many of the same passes, even though Shahin has a bit uh, more range, I would say, because he likes to sprinkle in a few more long balls toward the, or a few more diagonal long balls, let's say. But uh, I think both Weigel and Shine play much better when they are the balancing holding midfielder and there's a uh, an advancing number eight, as you would say, in Germany um, playing in front of them. So, Which would be Dahoud next year. Dahoud next year. Castro has played there at times where this season he wasn't really available for the Monaco tie, which was another uh, weakness for Dortmund, I would say, because Castro has a lot of experience also in 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 bigger games uh unlike many of the players who were on the pitch for Dortmund in the two ties or in the two uh games against Monaco so um i think uh Shahin has has shown a lot over the last uh, few games uh i think many didn't think he still had it in him but uh he should be in my opinion more of a backup to Weigel and, and spell him also going forward to next season and not really play those two together in a double pivot, I don't think that's really working well. I think if uh, Shahin and Weigel would not always occupy the same space, especially when they are trying to intercept passes, uh, which drives me nuts because then they usually both try to intercept the same ball and uh, take away one passing options. Um then, then I think it would work out well. I, of course, don't know how long it would take for them to, uh, yeah, let's say gel in, in that regard. Um, but I, I do wanted to say that, uh, with Shine and especially with Schmelzer, you could really see the experience on international level that, uh, both just don't give a rat, you know, who is, uh, playing against them. That, that Schmelzer, for example, you just see the, the, the lack of um, decision making in the sense that that he actually processes it and and that it needs time you know if you watch Guerrero defend you know he's always he seems to be caught in two minds you know should I approach the player should I should I attack him should I just wait for the cross and then for the next move Meanwhile, Schmelzer is is way more in in a flow uh, in a decision making flow let's say where he just uh, knows what to do in any given moment and I think that's a massive help for Dortmund and the same with Shine that uh, there's just so much more 
uh, yeah, I I don't want to say courage, but just an understanding of of the situation and not really um, yeah, being being afraid or too respectful of your op opponent, but just doing and especially when it comes to counter pressing, of course, you 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 have to be really rash in your decision making and uh, yeah, that so far is just making a lot of difference when you see those guys in introduce and uh, yeah, when we talk about experience, I think this is a factor that that really makes it makes a difference for Dortmund that when those guys all uh yeah just just know how to deal with these situations under pressure in the in the Champions League for example or a cup semi-final or whatever um yeah then they of course will be become only better footballers um Mat Matthias uh Roman Bürki of course uh set up the first goal for Mbappé um mm -hmm. and got criticized for that Mm -hmm. So, um, you told me before the show that you had some stats prepared why, uh, one should maybe not always criticize him for one tiny, <laughs> tiny mistake. Well, uh, I mean, f first of all, uh, yeah, that was a goalkeeping error. The way he parried it, he, you know, I mean, it was, it was a hard shot. I can see that he didn't catch it, but you can't let it bounce straight in front of you. I mean, that's, you just can't do that. But yeah. I think Bookie um, knows that himself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's obvious. Uh, only an idiot would want to continue down that path and, and argue it one way or another. Um, just like a lot of idiots argued the fact that, you know, Bukki is so bad and he's not good enough for Dortmund and, you know, he's not really a good keeper in the Bundesliga when Bukki has actually been absolutely outstanding this season. Now, and you said, you know, statistics... I just went through a, a few different websites, whether it's Transfermarkt, Kika, Squawker, uh, you name a few other websites that actually keep track of some form of goalkeeping statistics beyond just uh, clean sheets or something like that. And in in all of these different rankings, uh, obviously Manuel Neuer is seen as the best keeper in Germany. And I, I think there's nothing really to argue against that. Um, Roman Bürki always came in either second or third in any of these. Uh, the only other keeper that was close in there based on performance statistics or uh, clean sheets or whatever, uh, surprisingly, actually, was Oliver Baumann, who I feel like is more error-prone uh, than uh, Bürki, but he's having a good good season as well. So, And Bürki then is miles ahead of anybody else in the Bundesliga. And as far as... You know, when people talk about really good keepers in the Bundesliga, they tend to talk about Neuer or Horn or Leno. Leno's having an absolutely horrible season. Horn, I'm going to discount this season simply because of injuries and then rustiness getting back. He's made some some mistakes. So I would personally say that Bürki is second best in the Bundesliga uh, overall. Uh, behind Manuel Neuer, if I look at all these different statistics, you look at also average ratings after matches and so on. He's one of the best keepers. Yeah, he made a mistake. Everybody makes a mistake. It's annoying that it's a mistake like that in that situation. The problem is a keeper makes a mistake, it tends to lead to a goal. Whereas other players make mistakes, it, you know, except for own goals or few here or there, it tends to not directly turn into a goal, whereas with a keeper, it definitely can. And Noya has done that as well in the past. So Bürki, in my opinion, is very, very good. He's definitely better than he was last season. And I think, as anybody knows, keepers, 
would say keepers only get better with age. So he's like only going to, yeah, he's only going to get better. And so, you know, the discussion that arose out of that, whether it was on Twitter or anything else about Buki maybe not being good enough is just asinine it is an idiotic statement. And, uh, so that's that's about all I have to say to that now. All right. Yeah, I hope uh, we still have listeners after they realize that someone actually prepared anything for once. <laughs> that's so un un unlike us. But, um, yeah, we will, of course, uh, wrap things up now about Monaco. Um, Lars, maybe your final thought on uh, Dortmund's Champions League season overall. I would argue that it was... Uh, pretty good success for them. Uh, they topped a group with the title holders in Real Madrid, uh, who, as our friends from Bavaria have once again learned very recently, aren't the, aren't the worst side in the world. Um, came back in both games against Real 2 from behind to earn 2-2 draws. Set the Champions League goal-scoring group stage record Uh, with, I think, 21, obviously, that was largely down to uh, playing Legia Warsaw, but still, you have to score those goals. Uh, Real didn't, for example. Um, then came back from a deficit against uh, Benfica. Uh, I mean, obviously, Benfica proved to be a decent at best side, but you still uh, have to turn those games around. It doesn't happen all the time. And then I think the quarterfinals are not to be judged Uh, by us on, on pure sporting terms. So, uh, as I said before, we, we were robbed to, of seeing how Dortmund stack up against Monaco in, in this form. So, I mean, anyone who, who, who says that Dortmund didn't have a successful Champions League season needs to check his, uh, targets for the season. I mean, Dortmund coming into the, the, the top eight in Europe, in Europe's finest club competition is always a success in my mind. And, I think before the season had anybody told us they were uh, going to go out against the league uh, leaders uh, in the quarterfinals, I think we would have assumed it was going to be PSG and most of us would have been fine by that, uh, fine with it. So I have no issues whatsoever with that Champions League season and especially considering how many young players are in the team and how many even players who aren't technically still teenagers have very little experience on the top, top level. So... I think they will uh, be much better for it next season, and and this season was still a success. So uh, I'm 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 fully okay with what happened uh, for all the games except the two ones against Monaco that uh, were played under terrible circumstances. Yeah, certainly. I mean, Dortmund. Uh, I'm just. I think we can all agree here that the semi-final was actually on the cards if it wasn't for. Yeah, those terrible attacks. Otherwise, I think, I don't know if they made it through, but they at least would have had a way better chance. Matthias, anything to add? No, I think it's, uh, you know, hit the nail on the head there. Uh, very, very successful, uh, Champions League campaign, uh, with a lot of changes in the squad coming into the season. Top eight uh, in Europe, without a doubt, and it once again proved the club philosophies um, and proved that the player recruitment was excellent, without a shadow of a doubt. So, no, very good. Yeah, if there's one thing to add, I uh, will do that now. I just 
want to, you know, I'm just very happy that Borussia Dortmund are a fan factor still on the international stage. You know, it's, it's one thing to be successful, but it's another thing to do that while being fun to watch. And Dortmund are definitely that because I usually enjoy almost every game they play. Uh, because even when it's uh, dull for their standards, it's usually still entertaining or has highlights in it. And uh, that usually counts for the Bundesliga, but uh, especially on the international stage, I think uh, Dortmund's games in Europe always have a certain amount of entertainment. And of course, we mustn't forget the choreographies the Dortmund fans showed once again on the yellow wall. I think the uh, one against Monaco was uh, one of the more impressive ones, although... To be honest, they are all fairly impressive, but uh, having the BVB crest on the entire yellow wall for 90 minutes and more was, uh, that was pretty awesome. Um, yeah, wanted to say that. Um, so I guess from the Champions League, we now move on to the race to the Champions League. Borussia Dortmund are still fourth in the Bundesliga with five games to go, one point behind third placed Hoffenheim. 54 to 53 basically and they will go to Gladbach as I said earlier. Uh, Gladbach right now in ninth place. Uh, they uh, can still reach the Euroleague as I feel like almost every team in the Bundesliga right now. It's uh, the so often snail race as we say in Germany for Europe. Um, Matthias, Borussia Dortmund of course not the strongest away team. Uh, Gladbach have won their last three, uh, not last three, but three out of their last five home games, lost the other two. How tough will this be for Dortmund? Well, it's going to be tough in the sense that obviously, um, it's a lot of jam packed weeks, um, that are leading up to this match. Uh, obviously still dealing with what happened, uh, last week. Even though I think some of those cobwebs got kicked off against Frankfurt, uh, it's it's going to be difficult. Uh, Gladbach are a difficult team to play against, specifically because they're so good going forward off of a counter. I think defensively, there 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 are certain liability there. Uh, I certainly don't see this being a boring nil nil draw type match. So overall, uh, it's going to be tough. But I think this is one that Dortmund can take and. So then Gladbach's record at home will be three wins out of six home matches. Well, they've won one, lost one, won one, lost one, won one. So obviously next up should be a loss going by that uh, arithmetic. Um, Lars, do you have any injury updates for us? I mean, we are still to hear the news conference out of Dortmund, but are there any obvious players that are missing for either Gladbach or Dortmund? Actually, uh, a few big ones for Gladbach. Uh, Raphael, who I'm, whom I read extremely highly, I think he's a top, let's say five outside of Bayern player in the Bundesliga. He's out. Uh, Torgan Azar is uh, likely out. Fabian Johnson is out. Uh, Christoph Kramer, who's very important next to uh, Moda Hood, is out. Um, Tony Jansch, the team captain, is out. So it's not like Gladbach are playing at the absolute highest of their personal uh, personnel, but uh, I guess we can say the same for Dortmund in some senses. I think um, I'd be surprised um, to see uh, Marco Reus start again with the Cup semi-final against Bayern coming up. Um, 
maybe Castro can come back, but Mark Bartra is obviously still going to uh, be out. So both sides, uh, let's just put it that at that and wait for the Dortmund press conference, uh, not exactly at the height of their uh, of their personal availabilities. But uh, I guess that's to be expected when it's uh, the middle of April after a long season uh, with European campaigns for both sides. Uh, you you aren't likely to be at full strength in in those games, so not not a uh, not anything that can serve as an excuse for for either side, I guess. Yeah, Andre Schüle, of course, also still out for Dortmund. Uh, Matthias, last just mentioned the upcoming uh, cup semi-final against Bayern. Um, do you have this game already in mind at all, if you're Thomas Tuchel, or do you have to? put everything into claim three points away to Gladbach and don't really care about keeping anyone healthy or fit for Wednesday's match against Bayern. You have to focus on the league over the cup. I mean, you almost, I'm not going to say you almost have to assume you're going to lose against Bayern uh, away, but you almost have to assume that. Uh, this is more important <laughs> for next season. Um, when you look at finances, less disruption during preseason. So I would put more emphasis and the better squad out against Gladbach. All right. So we, as often on the show, agree because, you know, I couldn't care less about the cup game if uh, Dortmund do not take something away from Gladbach. Uh, Dortmund, of course, have the luxury or maybe not, so the pressure uh, depending on the outcome of knowing the result of Hoffenheim, who play in Cologne, I think, on Friday evening. So, um, yeah, I'm pretty sure they will uh, watch how Hoffenheim are doing and whether they can put the pressure on Dortmund. Um, if, if I have the schedule in my mind correctly, Dortmund will play against Cologne after Gladbach and then also at home against Hoffenheim. And uh, before they play Hoffenheim, it's probably going to be their first week of uh, rest or at least a week without a midweek fixture. So, um, yeah. Until then, a very busy schedule. Lars, um, how have Gladbach set up under Dieter Hacking this season? What is their playing style? If you ever watched Wolfsburg under Dieter Hacking, uh, that's exactly 10 what, million crosses. It's, it's exactly what Gladbach are doing minus the individual brilliance of Kevin De Bruyne, who basically made Dieter Hacking's life, uh, in Wolfsburg. It's the fairly standard 442-ish, uh, shape with both strikers applying some pressure in midfield already in, uh, when the opponent is on the ball. A lot of uh, vertical passes on the wings uh, to get uh, close to the touchline and then, as you said, Stefan, a cross after cross flying in, uh, or not, not necessarily flying in, they're also doing pretty well with cutback passes, which is certainly going to be a bit of an issue for Dortmund, who's, uh, Huge issue. who's covering of the what what tactic bloggers call the 14 zone so basically the 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 hole uh, behind the strikers uh, that from that zone Dortmund have conceded an inordinate amount of goals this season think back to for example the 2-1 loss to Eintracht Frankfurt both games uh, both goals came from that space uh, the 14 space as it's called uh, but i think uh, the the beauty of uh, that uh, 
is for Dortmund that they know exactly what they're going to face and then it's going to be just about execution for both sides. Uh, Dieter King is not a coach that is difficult to prepare for. He's not going to go through too many changes with his uh, lineup or selection or, or the, the shape he sets his team up in. So, uh, as I said, it's mostly going to come down to execution. And the thing with uh, Gladbach under hacking is they've been fairly successful against the... Uh, sides from the lower ends of the table but they've I think they've lost four times in the Bundesliga under hacking and one of those came against Hamburg and uh, we as Dortmund fans know uh, that you can lose against Hamburg from time to time and then the other three losses under hacking were against Bayern, Leipzig and Hoffenheim so the top three in the table and that tells you something about their uh, the, the quality in Gladbach they beat up on the weaker sides in the Bundesliga and struggle to an extent against the, the the better ones, although I think they were pretty okay with their performance, for example, in a, I think, 3-5 loss to Hoffenheim, or was it uh, something along yeah. those lines? Yeah, so, I mean, it's Gladbach have a lot of quality in their side, and uh, hacking, the, the, the thing he does best is probably allowing the the players to uh, shine on the field because they are not uh, tasked with too many difficult things to do on the pitch so uh, if if Gladbach's attackers for example have a great day then Dortmund are going to be in trouble especially seeing as they are likely to suffer from some sort of Champions League hangover and aren't usually all that great on the road anyway yeah that's uh, my fear as well um, Matthias with Raphael being out who do you see as the main danger man in Gladbach right now, is it Lars Stindl, is it Moda Hood, is it maybe Traoré or even Jonas Hofmann? I would... <laughs> <laughs> wow, harsh. Um, I, I, <laughs> As if I Sorry. knew what No, I need happen. to stop. I need to... St no, you're, you're an ass. Um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> Uh, I ask one serious question on this show. <laughs> okay. Um, no, it has to be the combination of Dahoot and Stindl. Um, I think without a shadow of a doubt, uh, those, those are your most gifted players that they have in there right now with Raphael out. And I agree with Lars. Raphael is one of the top five or at least top 10 players in the Bundesliga. No questions asked. And he seems to just get better with age, which is kind of interesting for an outfield player. But, uh, you know, the thing with Stindl, of course, is, uh, he, he's, he's more an offensive midfielder than a striker, uh, even though he technically plays the striker role. Uh, so yeah, the, if, if you can shut down, honestly, if you can shut down Dahoud, you can shut it all down. Um, because, there's nothing coming for Stindl, then he'll have to drop very deep to get any type of, of ball, uh, to come to him. And with that, as long as it doesn't draw a Ginta out of position, um, we should be fine in that regard. All right, then. <laughs> uh, should, should be fine then. Um, Lars, um, I still remember Borussia Dortmund playing an opening match of the season against Gladbach and uh, there was one Christensen in that back line and he looked horrible. Um, I think the his, his partner was maybe Schulz or so. 
Um, nevertheless, I'm pretty sure the center back pairing for Gladbach on Saturday will be Christensen and Westergaard, unless one of them is suspended or out. Um, how do you see that center back pairing? Because I, I personally sometimes think to myself, they can be really, really, really good, especially in, in uh, their offensive game, but, but, but also in, in just, uh, yeah, muscling down opposition. But sometimes I also get the uh, impression it's, uh, Stefan Bell in disguise. It's the Mainz defender. I think individually Christensen is probably uh, the best young center back in the Bundesliga. Uh, he or maybe uh, Niklas Süle of, of Hoffenheim uh, and maybe even Willy Orban of Leipzig who's doing really well. Um, What's with Valachio? Uh, yeah, I, I think he's come down to earth a bit and now he's injured so I didn't mention him but uh, I think technically he would be in the discussion as well. Um, I mean, Christensen has everything you need or you want from a, from a modern day center back. He's really good with the, with his foot on the ball. Uh, very intelligent positioning, doesn't go in, into rush challenges. Good header of the ball. I mean, he's, he's the total package and, and I'm pretty sure Chelsea are going to recall him from loan, uh, and Gladbach have absolutely zero chance of signing him to a permanent deal because Chelsea aren't completely out of their minds and, uh, Even though they like to loan out players, they, they at times uh, those loans work for them, and this is one that worked really, really well for them. Um, but I think Christensen and Westergaard at times don't really fit well together. Uh, I think Westergaard is an okay player in his own right. You know, for for a team like Gladbach, uh, outside of the top three or four in the Bundesliga, he's fine as a starter. I think, especially because he contributes a few goals every season, just because he's so fucking tall. <laughs> I mean. Uh, He's, he's, he might be the, the, the best, or not the best, but just the, the most physical header of the ball uh, from the centre-back position. He or Mats Hummels, perhaps. Um, I think he scored in the last few games as well for Gladbach. Um, so, but, but they, yeah, he scored against Hoffenheim. Yeah, uh, his, one of his former clubs, actually. Um, but he, he just, I think the, the pairing doesn't always work for them. I think uh, no centre-back Uh, pairing or partnership because they played a uh, back three at times this season under their former coach uh, Andre Schubert. Um, I don't think any of those have been really working too well. I don't know if that's a coaching issue, uh, which wouldn't surprise me given they were coached by Andre Schubert. Um, if it's a tactical issue with the rest of the team, you know, uh, Kramer was out for large parts of the season. He's uh, a very stabilizing figure in front of the center back, so maybe. That was an issue, but I mean, individually, uh, both center backs are fine and, and certainly capable of shutting down a striker like Aubameyang, who seems to be a bit out of form at the moment, uh, not just, uh, missing chances, uh, at a more, at a higher rate than, uh, he had in the first half of the season, but he's also not really involved in the play at times. Um, but certainly not a, a center back pairing that Uh, is impenetrable, uh, like, uh, let's say, Juventus is or anything like that. Yeah, as uh, five goals from last week on the line. Yeah, obviously, uh, it's not always down to the centre-backs only, and I think Hoffenheim scored a few bangers in there that nobody can really defend, but, I mean, there's always a reason why teams concede too many goals, and usually uh, 
the center backs are one of those reasons. But I also think uh, uh, Jan Sommer, uh, their goalkeeper, hasn't been as good this season as he had uh, in the two previous years for Gladbach. Uh, at times, uh, his lack of height seems to show up, in my opinion. He's one of the smaller goalkeepers in the Bundesliga. And and uh, it's just generally Gladbach aren't playing a good season, and that, that shows up in their defensive record as well. Yeah, Gladbach have conceded 41 goals so far, scored 37, so they have a negative goal difference. Um, yeah, the discussion uh, whether Roman Bürki or Jan Sommer will play... Uh, in the goal for the for the Swiss national team is a discussion is a discussion for another podcast. Matthias, however, I did just hear from Lars that Gladbach may have a vacancy at center back next summer. Do you see Matthias Ginter sending in his resume? Sure. Why not? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> He's I'm not a center. Well, I, I, yeah, I mean, I think. Um, how do I say this nicely? Well, uh, Matthias Ginter has to, has tried to leave the club the past two yeah. seasons. To yeah, Gladbach, to Gladbach once, which, uh, I mean, we, yep. we, we know for sure because, uh, the clubs basically confirmed it. So, uh, it wouldn't be at all surprising to see that, uh, relationship rekindled. No, I, I think, um, it would be good for, for both parties, both parties being Ginter and Borussia Dortmund. Uh, now, whether he plays center back there or not, that's up to Gladbach. I think he's not a center back. I think he's he's a decent central midfielder. He's actually a better right back. At uh, Dortmund, there's no position for him on the right-hand side, whether you have Pischek there or a resurgent, a renaissance, so so to speak, of Eric Durm, uh, which makes me eat some of my words there, which I'm fine with. Uh, and at center back, obviously, he is at best a stopgap solution right now at Dortmund with Barcher out and Toprak coming. Maybe somebody else still coming uh, to solidify uh, the center back position. Sven Benda is a better center back than Ginta. Pischek is a better center back than Ginta. And Pischek is not a good center back. So um, I'm okay with it. Um, it's a shame. Uh, there was so much promise and potential with Matthias Ginta when he came. Uh, and he just could never replicate his performances he had at Freiburg. All right, then. I uh, guess uh, this uh, topic is done and dusted then. So without any further ado, Mr. Poilmann, I ask you for your always correct prediction. Well, they're not always correct, and uh, I kind of hope it isn't this time, but uh, I'm... Not overly convinced Dortmund are coming away with even one point here. I'm going for a 2-1 home win for Gladbach. Hmm, that was also my prediction. Uh, I'll think of a new one while Matthias gives his. Uh, yeah, I think this match... Again, I could see it go either way, so I'm, I'm going to go with a one-all draw. All right, I'm going to go with the two-all draw. Should be a little bit more fun in there. Uh, but, yeah, I also don't see Dortmund winning this. Um, so I so I guess uh, we can knock it on the head here. Um, before we leave, of course, uh, we uh, have to highlight again that you can support us on Patreon. We uh, yeah, are back with the Borussia Dortmund fans from around the world segment. segment. We have hit our target there. We are above the $100 mark. So 
thank you for everyone for supporting us. If you also want to support us, you can do that on patreon.com slash the yellow wall. And, uh, that should mostly be it from myself because since Matthias is here, he will have the honor of doing the outro. No problem at all. Stefan, uh, first of all, how can people get in touch with you? They can do that via Twitter at Stefan Butzko. And Lars, how can people get in touch with you? After they've uh, got in touch with Stefan, they can do the same for me at Lars Polman. And you can find myself on Twitter as well, at Matthias Suk. You can contact all of us here at the Yellow Wall, uh, also on Twitter, at Yellow Wall Pod. You can also find us on Facebook, Yellow Wall Pod, and, of course, the website itself. Just give, just put in uh, yellowwallpod.com. That will direct you to the website. So uh, thank you again for listening. Stefan, I'll let you say goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>